Welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. I am so excited about today's conversation because it's such an important one and we haven't addressed this topic on the show before. We're talking about the transition to reporting up to the CEO. Today's guest has firsthand experience navigating this transition and she saw immediate impact. So she has some super helpful insights to share. Kelsey Habeck is the Chief People Officer at Mission Critical Solutions based in Tampa. But what you really need to know about Kelsey is that she leads with such an empowering attitude focused on building the relationship and building credibility first. As you'll hear in her story, she shows up with a whole lot of patience. (laughs) Listen in as we talk about leading up by paying attention to what others need, advocating for yourself, and influencing in an extremely intense and stressful environment. Check it out. I have been in recruiting, HR, talent acquisition. I'm going on my 15th year. I I sort of fell into it, which I think is pretty typical for a lot of individuals, especially 15 years ago. I, I thought I was taking my first role out of school as a administrator, front desk type of role. And it really now would be considered an entry level recruiting position, recruiting sales, B2B individuals. And from there, I went on to um, really become more of like an HR director slash talent acquisition manager, leading a team, traveling around the country, helping it open up sales boutique offices. And then I left after about four years or so, I went into more third-party specialized boutique recruiting, really focused on high dollar roles. And that was not for me. Um, It was pretty stressful. It was a heavy commission position. I am definitely a corporate type of of individual, but it was great. It definitely opened my eyes up to some really interesting technology companies and healthcare companies out there and some of the largest roles I had ever worked on. Um, And then about 10 years ago, Mission Critical Solutions reached out and I started in their entry level, or not really entry level, probably more like a senior recruiting role, but we're a technology company and we hope we focus heavily in the federal space, about 80% federal work. And um, I've been with them 10 years and I've moved up into a manager role. Then I became our VP of talent acquisition and corporate culture. And then um, I've been a chief people officer going on uh, about three and a half years now. So when I first started, there was nothing. There wasn't an applicant tracking system. Everything was done by fax. I didn't even have any help. They had no idea what a true talent and people type of department was. Those Those were all new language and words for them. And so we really took the department from myself and the front desk uh, individual that I, I said, can I have Rachel? Let me, let me borrow her. I can, I can coach her. I can make her, you know, really a valued individual, a great resource. And we slowly built out this department over the past decade. And, and now we handle everything from all recruiting, all HR, all staffing needs. We work on the commercial sled and federal side. We do all, you know, market research and, and bid work for the company. Um, and I handle more of the strategy and leadership, everything from, you know, uh, market wages and, and and vacation management and professional development for the employees and certification universities and career pathing and all those pieces that we're trying to really focus on that that talent management, how we take care of the employee and 
large trainings uh, for for all areas and all departments. So it's a heavy load. We focus all talent acquisition, all HR, and really all employment management is under me at this point. So it's been a really fantastic 10 years. Yeah. I mean, when you look back now to see where, how far you have come, what do you think about when you look back 10 years when you first started there? I don't even recognize the company I started for 10 years ago. And I think that's a good thing. I think that shows how much we've shifted. I, I, when I first walked in, it was a very sort of conservative, old school telecommunications company and successful, but we've really shifted the company over the time, the re, from the resources to the individuals at all different levels and, and the diversity that we have in the company. It was always honestly a diverse company, but I would say we are by far the most diverse we've ever been. I was the first female vice president for the company. I was the first female executive, the first female chief. I might've been potentially maybe the, from the first female managers. I can't remember that, but so that was new for them having a, uh, an individual up at the top who at that time I was probably at least 15 years younger than every other, uh, VP or executive sitting around me. And I was, and I was the opposite gender. So that's a very different experience than even here than five years later, you know, now we, our CFO is a female, we have women at every level and it's and and it's a, it's a completely different company. I don't even recognize the company I started with. So there's so many things about this story that that strike me, you know, but but I I want to highlight that you took the front desk leader, Rachel, yeah. you said. <laughs> yeah. And so that's so cool too because you you recognized talent and you knew that you needed support and partnership in order to build what you wanted to build. Yes, that happens a lot. I still will sort of look around and say, I can help that person. They can be a part of my team. Whether or not I even need them, I'm more than happy to find opportunity for them. I struggle when I walk around and see somebody that feels bored or is not really being used at their highest potential or being trained even or given an opportunity. And so those are usually the individuals that I am I would prefer to have on my team because they're usually very moldable and coachable and have good attitudes. They just need someone to cheerlead them and, and put some and you know give them some time. And so that's a common space for me. I've had many interns come on board as full-time employees and we work with a lot of um, veteran fellowships. So I'm always trying to creatively think how I can find opportunity for somebody that's maybe at that admin or, you know, middle sort of ground within a company and maybe feels like they're stuck or they're not really sure where they're, where they're going next. I, I'm happy to figure out a place for them. You're good at spotting talent. That's what I hear in that, which is a good way to be. I'm so glad you are. I, I would say that's probably true. I think, you know, if once when you talk to enough people and you have a plenty of conversations, your gut becomes really strong. And I say that to my team all the time. If, if your gut's telling you something, let's talk about it. Cause I think that's that's the strongest piece sometimes of a of a really uh, successful recruiter. So, so that's probably fair. I can spot somebody for sure. So then, so over the course of this, these 10 years, you moved up substantially. You were in a senior recruiter role, and today you're the chief people officer for the organization that looks very different than it did. So a lot of cultural evolution along the way. What do you attribute your success to? How did you influence such change, especially as the first female executive? I mean, that, that had to be some, a lot of navigating you were doing. 
When I first got promoted to a VP, I was reporting to um, a, a different chief who's still with the company. And I think, honestly, that was the best thing that happened for me because I knew our CEO, but not at a very sort of professionally intimate, private executive meetings or strategy meetings. This was all new for me to be in these types of conversations with him. And so being under a senior exec who had 15, 20 years with our CEO was really beneficial and gave me space to learn and have private conversations before I went into meetings and learn how to get buy-in and or how to present to our CEO or or the exec team as a whole. And so there was this little wall of coaching and cheerleading that was happening behind the scenes that gave me confidence to go in until I kind of found my own groove and, and found some space that worked for me in the room, you know, more than just, we really like Kelsey, we think she's great. I, I had about three years under my belt to build a voice and build a leadership style and, and build sort of a relationship with the exec team and our CEO while still be, uh, being under another chief. What was that person's role? They were our, at that time, our chief of um, sales and had been with the company 20 plus years, still with the company and was the longest executive next to our CEO. So that was one of his you know, closest sort of right-hand individual, by far one of the individuals he trusted the most. And it was odd. I was the only sort of executive under, not directly under our CEO. But at the time, I don't think my our you know my CEO exactly knew where to place me or what 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 he wanted from me at that point. You know, because again, when I got promoted to a VP, it was still just a true talent acquisition HR department. The idea of employee resources and training and, and employee management and career pathing and building out, you know, ladders for your employees and certification pieces. It was happening, but it was very case by case or one off or as things, you know, came up, it wasn't, we weren't doing it as a whole yet. It wasn't an actual part of the company. So he didn't understand yet what that role was between him and I. And so, so I was under somebody that I was allowed to have transparent conversations and you know this is where we're not hitting the point or this is where we need to move the needle or this would be a great piece of conversation to bring up with him and and that helped me it, it helped me for a long time and then I was strong enough to feel like I could have more of those one-on-one -on -one conversations with our CEO what a fortuitous opportunity that you could because you said he was the right hand to the CEO and so really to learn from him, I love your phrase, a wall of coaching and cheerleading behind the scenes. I mean, that, I mean, it's just, it's such a good reminder about setting people up for success. You know, really, I mean, that really prepared you then to transition to reporting directly to the CEO at some point. For me to come in knowing that most of the executives at that point had been together for over a decade, and here comes this young individual who is a little green in this area it would have been a failure to walk in and not listen to them or not take their advice or have private private conversations where i was able to get that coaching and that buy in from them and you know they felt like kelsey cares about our departments or cares for the good of the company she's not just coming up to this you know executive level and then going to tear apart everything we've worked decades to build with our ceo you know when they all started the company was 
a 10 and, you know, maybe a couple million. And now it's a, a multi-million dollar huge player in the tech technology space and 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 they've built out these sectors of the company. And so I I didn't want them to feel I was going to come in there and and disrupt. I wanted them to know that while I I there was areas where I really saw we needed to make some changes and and upgrade and sort of get a little bit more modern that I wanted them to be a part of it. I was not there to to uh to frustrate them. So getting their support really helped me. You know, I didn't feel like I was ever having to go against them, which was great. Yeah, that I think that is such an important reminder for all leaders because particularly in this short-term results-oriented world in which we live, I, we put so much pressure on ourselves to get in there and fix things and change things quickly. And what I hear from this story is, I mean, you took the time, like the patience the building the relationships so that you could have influence, the getting their support, helping them to feel like we're in this together and showing how much you cared about the company. I mean, no doubt that built so much trust and credibility with those other leaders. Oh, yeah. And I am very was always really grateful for the time that they gave me. But I mean, I started really slow. I mean, any any program or initiative I built for this company today would be sort of, we'd laugh. It was always a free program or initiative. I was doing all the work. I would say, I'll give me a year. Give me a year with a referral program. Give me a year to talk to the employees about you know um, where they see the, where they'd like to go or training. Give me a year to build out a management training program. And then I would say, give us another year to see where it goes. So I moved really slow in the beginning. And then finally, I remember my CEO said to me, you don't have to keep asking to do things. Just go for it. But I mean, I was really tiptoeing in the beginning. Well, because you'd built the credibility. I mean, that that's the message. Because I, I work with emerging leaders, HR leaders all the time. And there's a lot of frustration around like, they, you know, I, they don't, they don't want to hear my voice or I share my perspective and they're not listening or they don't care. And so when I ask about, well, tell me about your relationships. Well, you know, I don't really know them that well. Well, then how are you going to influence? Like you first need to work on the relationship and creating shared understanding and trust. I mean, that's when you influence. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I live in Chicago and our company's headquarters is in, in Tampa and we have employees all around the country, but most of our execs are in the Florida area. They see their, they see each other every single day. So I don't get to see them except on video or, you know, on the phone. So I really have to make sure they understand who I am and, and what I want that relationship to be with them, whether it's, it's lighthearted and fun or when we're having a serious moment, but I, I'm as consistent as I can be. So they never feel like they're connecting with, with a new person. So, I mean, there's a lot of that relationship piece that makes a big part in how successful I am with them. Yeah. Consistency breeds credibility. That helps a lot. So there came a time when you decided, okay, I do need to report up to the CEO. Probably when I became a chief, so about three years ago. And I think he really agreed and made that position louder than I did. But I was struggling with the fact that I felt now people were speaking for me. I you know, I, at that point, I had been with the company seven years, you know, give or take. I had a voice, I had a presence, but I felt frustrated that I always felt like there was somebody else sort of speaking for me, or or a conversation came back to me. Maybe I wasn't in the room, 
and I wasn't always sure if I was getting the whole story or if or if maybe something was communicated, not how I would want our CEO to hear it. And so it just got to a point where I needed to be able to speak to him directly. I needed to have really transparent conversations with him that were confidential, where we could talk openly about where maybe we wanted to bring change or build a strategy and and for him to hear my voice and how I wanted to be involved or how I thought, you know, we could do it. And that was a huge shift in my relationship. I ha- I've always had a very great relationship with our CEO, but having sort of that one-on-one time with him outside of always being in a group or having, you know, another uh, chief come back and tell me what they discussed, he really got to see my personality and the way I coach, the way I lead, the way I, what I believe day in and day out. And, And that didn't mean he always agrees with me, but he could tell that I had always the best interests of his company. And I was, I might try to be creatively thinking or shift the needle a little bit, but over time he was able to find me as a sound judgment for him. And I, and I think I picked up a lot on areas that he would say, what do you, what do you like about me? You have really sound judgment. You're very rational. You never go crazy with a budget that I give you. You're extremely trustworthy. So I never wanted to take advantage of those areas. So anytime I was in meetings with him and still am, I'll say things like, okay, I'm just going to play devil's advocate for one second, or let me, let's just work through this a little bit more. So I tried to always stay consistent with the areas that he really likes about our relationship give him what he needs from you. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't need to be super loud or maybe the most energetic chief or the most ag- aggressive speaker, or the one that's going to be the most, you know, high volume or whatever or walk into room and and maybe there's a, a different type of energy. I just try to be the one that when he calls, if he's asking for my advice or he wants to talk through something, I am really critically thinking. I'm, I'm solution oriented. I'm creatively thinking. I, I want to stay consistent in those areas with him. And that changed for us. He's a very busy individual. And so I think we speak now at least once a week. He, we went even today back and forth in email a few times here and there, but you know, we used to speak always by phone. Now we only speak on video, but I love that because he gets to see my face and 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 my reactions to things, or if I'm I'm agreeing with him, or if I'm a little surprised by something that he says, and you know I try to make myself extremely visible, and and that can be tough, but I'm available as much as I can for him within a reasonable amount of the day, so he understands that I am a committed executive that's trying to build and and strategize and I'm passionate and and he can count on me that I'm reliable you know so there's these little small pieces that he has focused on over the years that now I try to sort of cheerlead every single day without being obnoxious about it but you know I think one of the things I, that really has helped us is we all have a certain leadership style or communication style or coaching style that we use every day. And I would find myself writing these quarterly emails to him. And here's all the things we did as a team. And here's the reports and the data. And, you know, this really intense level of 
cheerleading um, our department, which needs to be done. But he would say to me, I can't read that. That's too much for me. Or I can't. And I wasn't catching on probably for almost a year. I'd still keep sending these emails. And then finally I realized, okay, I'm not listening to what his communication styles and what he wants from me. And so when I stopped doing what maybe I'm comfortable with and shifted to, he wants to see me face to face. He wants to hear my voice. He wants quick, you know, half an hour catch ups and maybe he's going to chat and we're going to go an hour and a half, but he wants to feel like it's this, we talk one about one or two topic or concerns and we creatively strategize and then we move on and I go into action and then I bring him an update or feedback and it, you know, it's these much quicker interactions than sending him in this long email on a, on a Sunday night for him to show up to Monday thinking that's going to excite him. And so I, I, I think that was one of the biggest sort of light bulbs is when I finally shifted my way of, of communicating with him to his best communication style. And then I, I trained my entire team to do that as well. Then we really got in a groove together. Giving people what they need. Yeah, exactly. I was, I, and I was doing it my way because it felt uncomfortable to have to call him that often or check in that, you know, he's the CEO, he's busy. It's this, it's that. So, but once I finally let that go and really pushed myself to communicate the way he likes to, then it was, you know, can we get Kelsey on this call or I want Kelsey in that meeting or I'd like to run this by Kelsey. The relationship changed. Your influence with him changed. Yep, exactly. I love that. That is such an important reminder for all leaders is to really to to have maximum influence, to really look at the preferences and the style of the individual that you're communicating with. Show up in a way that gives them what they need. So I want to go back to the this this time frame in which you realized like, okay, I, I'm feeling frustrated. I want to have a voice. I want to have this direct confidential communication with the CEO. And you actually told him, I need to be under you. So tell tell me about that transition. How did you navigate that? There was definitely like a breaking point where it felt that I was hearing too too many comments or conversations from other individuals that had uh, a lot more interaction with him. And then I, maybe I'd speak to him later and run something by him and he would say, that's not what I said, or that's not what I wanted them to communicate to you. It was this constant back and forth. And it hit sort of a breaking point where we had a long, long talk. And I just said, I, I really would benefit just if I was directly under you, if I could just talk to you directly. And and he he got it. He was like, I agree with you that we need to shift that. We I need to have a lot more FaceTime with you. I need to hear from you. I need to know what you're doing. I need to understand this department at a level that I don't. And and that wasn't to his fault. It was just, you know, I was bringing in a lot of new ideas and pieces that, that were um, not in the company before. And so, but we probably spoke about it for about an hour and a half. And then, like I said, in the beginning, it was a little cold, not, a, you know, not on purpose, but I wasn't, and it wasn't really reaching out. I, I didn't need a ton of help from him, or at least I didn't think I did. I would, you know, he would say, you know, I need to hear from you more, or is there anything that I need you need from me? And I would be like, no, I'm good. I, I'm, but I was good. I would just get up and I knew exactly how to jump into my day. But what I realized down the road is I was not allowing myself to shift from a from that strategic standpoint. I was still playing, you know, almost a talent acquisition manager and an executive at the same time. So once that shifted, 
we were able to build out the, build out the department differently. You know, we don't, we have career development coordinators and HR individuals, and then we have recruiters and then myself. So everything shifted when I started having conversations with him almost about nothing. And then it would lead into, you know, a really, a really nice development type of, uh, of conversation. But I also, I, I do allow him to coach me or I'll ask for coaching. I should say not allow, but previously I would think he's really busy. I need to go to somebody else. I'm going to run this past somebody else. And even about two months ago, I sent him an email and said, I, if you're available today, I'm really struggling with a decision. I, I don't know what to do. And I, I remember when he called me, he said, I could tell from your email how much you're struggling. And he coached me through it. And I was up all night the night before, like stressed out and overthinking it. And how do I bring this up with them? And within 10 minutes, we had a plan and and he went on about his day. And so I still allow for him to be a coach to me, not just the CEO of the company. And I think he appreciates that. I bet. Well, and especially since you have the foundation, the trust, the relationship that you have, it's ripe for coaching. That's so good. So were you still reporting up to the chief sales officer at the time then that you were promoted to chief people officer? I was for a little bit. I couldn't, I can't tell you how long, but I'd say a few months or so. And that's when I got, when you started to look at the org chart, it was our CEO, every chief, and then me. And it was like, wait a minute, why am I not being pushed up? So good for you for, for advocating for yourself because it, because it made, and this is what I love about your story is you did really exercise good judgment in that situation because you had the relationships all around. So you were in, because of your credibility and the trust you had, you were in a really good position to like, to raise your hand and say, Hey, if we want to go where we want to go as an organization, I need to be in a different role. I need to be working directly with him. Thank you. And it made sense. You know, the company went from a $30 million company to, you know, almost a $90 million company in a few years, really quickly. And so we were growing and scaling and shifting and moving. And we still are, we're, we're literally still in this right now that it made sense for him to want to understand the level of work I could do for him or, or how I could really build out this company with him a little bit differently. And so I think that that was really beneficial also because it stopped in some way if there was any sort of miscommunication or politics with allowing somebody else to speak on my behalf. It all went away because now I had a direct line to him. So if there ever was any confusion, I didn't have to go through anybody else. I didn't have to make sure they, is it okay if I talk to them? Should I CC you? I, it's just a direct clean line. And that was that was so beneficial. And you made that happen. I just, this... Kelsey, this story is so good for so many reasons. I mean, the other thing I want to point out here is just the, you know, the earlier comment you made about being in a, a pretty intense male-dominated do environment and being the only female executive. And, but also by just demonstrating good leadership, you built relationships and trust and established credibility early on. I mean, that, that led you to have greater influence. I appreciate that. And, you know, I think it's still a challenge. You know, I'm still uh, sometimes finding myself Isn't it in, always. Yes, in these <laughs> situations where I'm like, I, I don't agree with you or, you know, I, or if I have a viewpoint and I, and I have to s still sometimes say to uh, other executives who I have great professional relationships with, but will 
you know, they move so differently and sometimes the way they engage or they will, or just shift every day. And, you know, you don't need to respond to Kelsey. You, You don't need to get Kelsey that, or Kelsey, don't worry about that right now. And I've had to say to some of them, so and so, you're not just taking away a task or a response. You're taking away a part of my job that I've worked 10 years to have. So it might feel small to you or silly to you that they have to work through me or get approval from me or come discuss uh, an employee with me. But that's been a decade of of work that I've I've had to prove to our CEO that I should have that responsibility. So don't just take it away like it's nothing. So we, I've had to have a lot of those types of conversations. Good for you. Well, and again, because you have the relationships and the credibility, you've got something to stand on when you have them. Yes. And and that's the thing. They know. They know where it's coming from. Yeah. And they know I, my, you know, as much as I will, you know, maybe uh, push or have a strong voice or have a, a, a tough voice at times, they also know that I, myself and my department, we get up and we work really hard every day. You know, I really coach, get, don't get in the gossip, put your head down, go to work. Then we, we cheerlead, we, we high five, we let everybody know. But so I've really created a department. I don't love walking into companies and their talent acquisition or recruiting department, whatever it is. It's this corner office. Nobody talks to them. Nobody respects their time. You know, I don't speak for my team. They speak for themselves. I'm only getting involved when I when I see a concern or maybe we've taken a left turn that's not productive. But I've built a, a department that has a very strong female-oriented voice. And so if anyone wants to kind of shake that up, I stop it immediately. And that, and they know that they've learned that, you know, so, and I have my CEO support, so that's even better. Yeah. You've got a lot of ingredients for success. Kelsey, thank you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm taking so much away from this, just the reminder of the building relationships first, building trust, building credibility that sets you up then to be in a position to say, Hey, I need to report up to you now. All of the insights then that you shared in that transition and how, you know, it it took time, but how it changed everything once you got the relationship you needed with the CEO. I mean, it really then became this breeding ground to drive all of this change that you've had over the last several years. Yeah, thank you. I I really appreciate that. I'm very proud of the work we do. And I, you know, sometimes I see sort of um, younger individuals come in and are expecting movement and promotion and seniority so fast, but they're not willing to sort of patiently put in the work and build those founding, you know, those blocks of foundation for them. And so it is really important. There's, you know, sometimes if you put a a little extra time in that feels really slow to you or, or it's taking forever to get to the finish line, it's so interesting once you hit that finish line, how things will start to move and that momentum changes so quickly for you, you know, so it will serve you well. It pays off. Thank you for sharing all of that. And no doubt there are so many people listening to this that can relate and have learned from what you have shared. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way would be on LinkedIn. It's right. Kelsey Habeck, H-A-B as in boy, I-C-H is probably the best place. I'm super active and, and always checking. So I'm happy to chat with anybody. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.